All right, we have a few Bible readings this morning. Um, They're all found in Leviticus chapter 16. Um, So please feel free to follow along with me on the screen behind me. So the first one is from verses 1 to 10. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin, offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot, sorry, by lot, as the scapegoat, shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Uh, the second reading is then from verses 20 to 22. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it into the wilderness and our final reading is from verses 29 to 31 this is to be a lasting ordinance for you on the 10th day of the 7th month you must deny yourselves and do and not do any work whether native born or foreigner residing among you Because on this day, atonement will be made for you, to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all today. Um, Our God is a holy, wonderful God, 
And as we open up and explore this, the hinge of the book of Leviticus today, as we um, kick around this day of atonement, um, I'm really mindful that some of us may have had a, a really hard week, maybe emotionally or physically or spiritually. And so um, before we explore this chapter, and in light of what this chapter tells us of God um, and who we are, I just want to say that that's okay, and we're going to pray and just um, come before our God and let His Word have His way with us. And so however your week has been, um, I do hope that today would be just moving you one step closer to God's grace in Christ. I don't know, I just think some of you have had a pretty tough week, and you just need to hear this. Every week, of course, because it's God's Word and we're God's people meeting to do um, to open up and understand who our God is and our Saviour more. But particularly today, I suspect this is most needed for some of you. Let's pray. Our holy God, around your throne, your creation cries, holy, holy, holy. You are so separate and distant and other, yet you've made yourself known. You've made a way to be close to us, so we can be at one with you. And Father, you deal with the problem of sin and shame and our uncleanness. And I pray as we open Leviticus 16 that you would point us to the cross of Jesus more clearly than we've seen all week. That we will be amazed at your grace and mercy and kindness to us. That you're a gentle, holy God. May we hold those intention and kneel before the foot of our Savior Jesus with humility and joy. We pray this in your name. Amen. Over the winter time at home, um, the side of a house goes green. And it's really gross. Um, there's bad drainage, that's why. But we don't walk down there. We never go there uh, because it's just horrible and it smells. And so uh, it's gross. And yesterday, you get a, as, as I did, I got a pressure cleaner and wow, it's, uh, it's clean. In a few moments, the moldy concrete is good and you can walk on it. And it made me think of Leviticus 16. Because um, this chapter continues to ask the question that we've been looking at the last three weeks now. How can a holy God live with sinful people? And we're seeing again and again that God makes a way to deal with all the sin and the impurity, all the uncleanness, so that we can live with him. And like my concrete, unless the impurity is removed, I can't walk on it. Unless our impurity is cleaned away, we can't live with a holy God either. And the big idea of Leviticus 16 is simply that God wants to give us access to himself. That's what this chapter is about. God wants to give us access to himself. So let's kick that around. And we'll go through the same order we've gone through the last few weeks as we look through Leviticus, the same four points every week, and we'll keep doing that. Firstly, we'll see the story so far, what's happened up to this particular chapter, because to appreciate it, we need to know the story so far. Then we'll zoom in really narrowly just on this particular chapter and see what does it contribute to God's unfolding revelation. And then we'll ask, what do we learn about the lawgiver? What do we learn about God himself, his character, who he is, the Holy One himself? 
and then finish with the how much more of Jesus. Because we're Christians under a new covenant with God through Jesus, the one Leviticus ultimately points to. So we want to end there today. So, story so far. As a recap, and, and so we know what's going on, we saw in Leviticus 1 to 7 some sacrifices that say thank you and sorry to God that maintain this relationship with God. God's people are saved in Exodus before the law is given, and Leviticus shows how do we live with the Holy God? How do we keep the relationship going and maintained? Then in chapter 8 to 10, we saw how the priests are ordained, how the mediators set up, ready to lead people to God. But Leviticus 10, and keep that in your head, Leviticus 10, it ends with this horrific, confronting story of what happens when ministers, God's people, aren't theologically discerning or holy. And then between 10 and 16, we have five chapters that are really, really weird. And if you read them, you'll know what I mean. But the big idea is that from 11 to 15, they're talking about clean and unclean things. They show us that being unclean isn't a sin, but sin always makes you unclean. They emphasize, these chapters, that just living as a human in this life is going to make you unclean. It's a problem for us as fallen humans. Common everyday life gets you unclean before a holy God. You know, um, giving birth or eating some sort of foods or having mold in your house, it actually talks about mold like in my home. It makes you unclean. And we'll explore more of them next week in Leviticus 19 because we hit more of them in that chapter. But what we need to know today is that being unclean means you cannot approach a holy God. It means if you're an Israelite, you're going to bounce between clean and unclean pretty much most of your life. Sometimes it's just a simple, you wash and change your clothes. Others, it's a seven-day ritual and you can't go into your home and other people are infected by your uncleanness as well. It's just a really intense kind of way to live. But the laws show us that it's wrong to go into God's presence with this impurity hanging over your head. Because being unclean isn't a sin, but... Sin always makes you unclean. And then 15 ends and we get to chapter 16. And it speaks into this in two ways. First of all, it gives us an for sin, just like in chapters 1 to 7. But secondly, it's a day that cleans you. It addresses all the impure things that you've done, gotten involved in in the year, maybe as chapters 11 to 15 have mentioned. And it's called the Day of Atonement. Just think, all year, in and out the temple, day in, day out, and you're bringing bits of uncleanness into that temple, just by living. And just like my kids and the puppy dog coming in and out from the door, slowly over a matter of hours, the muddy footprints and the grass builds up and up and up, and you have to then clean it. And the spiritual equivalent of that is that people have muddy footprints of unholiness going into God's temple. And it's captured in the key verse of this chapter, verse 16, uh, verse 30 of chapter 16. On this day of atonement will be made for you, to cleanse you. And then before the Lord, you'll be clean from all your sins. See the outcome? Atonement made to clean you. We see the result. Then before the Lord, you'll be clean from your sins. And that probably sounds so distant from where you're at today. 
so far removed from the world that you're living in to talk about goats and cleanness and all that. But it's actually very, very relevant to know how this day works and why being clean and unclean matters. Have you ever felt guilty for doing the wrong thing? Failing to do the right thing, perhaps? Maybe you look back on your past life, have moments, in fact, when you lament with a deep sense of regret and shame what you've done, how you've lived, decisions you've made, words you've spoken, actions you've committed. You reflect on now, maybe you've had a a review at work and you've realised some character flaws that others have known that it's really hard to process. Maybe you've thought about how your family has been living and treating and it's been weighing on your shoulders. Maybe how you've treated them. There's a deep sense of remorse or guilt that just sits on you. Maybe even more, before you were a Christian, there was a very sharp divide in how you lived. Your behaviour, for example. How you treated yourself and others. And Maybe from all of this, you spend your life guarded and remorseful. and You feel like damaged goods, to say it one way. I mean, if we use the words of Leviticus, you would say, I feel deeply unclean by what's happened to me. And I've played a part in making other people unclean as well, and I hate that. And you need a way to be clean from that, you say. But moreover, you also recognize, maybe, that you are actually a sinner before a holy God too, and accountable for Him in the life you've lived, making choices that have broken His heart, broken His law, and you need someone to forgive you for that. And Leviticus 16 speaks to both of those truths. Because the typical gospel that we hear for the Christian gospel truly says, rightly says, that if you're a sinner, God forgives you by Jesus' life, death, resurrection. True. But Jesus does more than just deal with the sins you've done of commission and omission. The gospel addresses sins that have been done to you. Sins that have made you unclean. And sometimes you can't repent from that. But the gospel offers us hope of being made clean from them. Of the shame we feel that's happened to us. Which is why this chapter is so dear and relevant to our understanding of Jesus. Because this is how God addresses both of those situations, both of those issues. And there's two theological words which I want to tell you if you want to look it up or if you read it so you know what they mean. But these two words summarize those two things and the two things that we need as humans today. The first is the idea of propitiation. Sounds like I've sneezed, propitiation. But it's this idea that before a holy God, our sin is forgiven. God's anger at our sin, a holy anger at our sin, is called because of the blood of the goat which goes upon the altar. Think of Leviticus 10 and Aaron's two sons who died. This holiness of God and and sin are not compatible, and so propitiation cleans and calls the wrath of God against our sin. But then there's expiation. You've probably only ever heard that if you've got a parking fine before, or speeding. You get an expiation notice from the police. But this is the idea of our sins being taken away into the wilderness, far away, never to return. Sin removed and clean is taken off you onto someone else. So your sin is forgiven and your sin is removed. 
You're forgiven, the sin's removed. That's the Day of Atonement. And it's all about two goats and one humble heart. So in the first three verses, we read this. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his two sons when they approached the Lord. That's Leviticus 10. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover, else he will die. For I'll appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. So right up, we meet two people who didn't approach God in the right way. The two deaths of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abinu, serve as an example to every generation that God's leaders have a huge responsibility in leading people to God in holiness and that they will be held accountable if their lives aren't holy like the Lord. The point is they're a failed attempt of how to draw near to a holy God. They experience God's wrath at at their sin. And then chapter 16 comes and says, Aaron, here's how you will approach me. Because God is gracious. He wants us to come to him, you see. Here's how you're going to get ready and relate to God and, other, and the people can relate to me too. And it's really different from anything we've seen before. There's a different place because Aaron goes into the curtain, behind the curtain, separating God's presence from the people, right into God's space. Only happen once a year. All the other offerings out front. This one, the offering goes inside. So it's a different place. And it's, his clothes are different. You read in the first few verses, he, he actually dresses down. The elaborateness of his priestly garb, he takes it all off and puts on linen clothes. Just plain old linen clothes to go into the very throne room of God. It's humility in approaching a king... And it's the reminder that there's only one king here. And Aaron, as much as you look the part when you're out the front, when you go into that place, take it off because God is the king. And third, the order's different. So the place is different, his clothes are different, the order's different because he has to atone for his sin first before he can go any further. Interestingly, Leviticus is starting to show us, isn't it, that cleaning up our unholiness is going to take more than doing a few nice things. I'm sure if you ask most Australians today, they will say that if you do good things, you're going to be okay. Just make the good more than the not good. You know, donate some blood, get the vaccine, buy toilet paper for your neighbor, and stop to help on the side of the road. Do those things, and, and you know, things will work out okay for you. But Levit- and you should do that, by the way. But Leviticus sees it as a much deeper issue than just a moral thing, because being nice doesn't make you holy. We need to clean our unholiness away, and that can only happen with blood. As water cleans dirt, blood cleans unholiness. And this is the role of the first goat, the atoning goat. Verse 9 says, Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. Then jumping down to verse 15, he shall slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people, take its blood behind the curtain, do with it as he did with the bull's blood, sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. And in this way, he'll make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He used to do it the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. This is the atoning goat. It blood, its blood goes onto the altar, the very throne room of God, because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the people. Whatever sins they've done, this goat will atone for it. It shows God's judgment on such sinners. But the goat covers everything from a white lie to murder 
to eating the wrong food, to having mold in your home, murder, rebellion, it's all covered by the goat's blood. The goat has died in their place and its blood placed before God, satisfying his anger at sin. And his blood, the goat's blood, averts God's wrath because the blood symbolically becomes you and your life, dying your death before a holy God. That's the price for sin. We can say God's wrath is propitiated, forgiving the rebellion, calling his wrath through the substitute, the goat. Naturally, though, and, and as we, we will learn, that civil penalties, still, civil penalties still apply. Sin has real consequences that must be dealt with too. And the Lord might exercise fatherly discipline upon the person too. But the point is that sin isn't hanging over their head. So goat one, God's anger at their rebellious sinful hearts, atoned for. And the next goat completes this day by cleaning them. The goat chosen by Lot in verse 10 is the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be, to, be make, uh, to be used for making atonement by sending it in the wilderness as a scapegoat. Verse 20, when Aaron finished making atonement for the holy place, the tent of meeting, at the altar, he shall bring forth the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sin. And put them on the goat's head. And he shall send the goat away in the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. And the goat will carry on itself all the sins. This one has to be alive. And maybe you've heard of the word scapegoat. This is where it comes from. It's a compound word literally meaning goat go. And notice the connection with rebellion in verse 16, 21. He lays his both hands on the head and confesses it the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites. He confesses their sins. This is the idea of expiation, the removing of the thing that stains the relationship. This is what this goat does. It takes away their sin. You're forgiven, but you still have the burden on your shoulders. So God then takes it away graciously. It's like using the sack truck to move something around your home. The weight of that item is on the sack truck and it carries it off. And that's what's happening here. The burden of sin is being taken off you. But it's not just taken off, it's driven away, you see, outside the camp, away from God and away from you. Because sin has no place in the community of God's people. And it all happens when they confess. You have to confess you've broken God's heart, right? (laughs) And when you do, it's like a release from the toxin inside you. Maybe you've felt that. Maybe you've confessed to something that's been eating you up. And it was a painful thing to confess. It was a horrible thing to admit to it. But as you did, the burden was released. It's lethargic even. Because why? You're not carrying the weight of it anymore. And you know it's not physical. But in you, on you, you feel it. It's the recognition here that when I confess my sin... Unless God does the work of taking it away, it's going to keep floating around on the surface of your life, bobbing up and down. Like the broken Tim Tam you've used that's broken off in your cup of tea, it keeps floating up and down. It's it's good to know it's there, but it's even better when you remove it. So is your sin, to have it actually removed. And it's taken to the wilderness, a barren, wasteless place. No one's there. And it bears the consequence of their sin. Which means eventually the goat will die. 
with all the sins of the people on it, not them. This is substitution at its finest. (laughs) The animal becomes the guilt and the punishment of the people. And it's through confessing that it bears the weight and responsibility of your sin, your uncleanness, and it removes it. Two goats, one heart. And this is where the chapter ends. How do you go into this day? How do you approach this day? Well, 29, 30, 31, the need for humility. The NIV says deny yourself. And it's a little bit confusing. What does that mean? How do, to deny, don't, don't, don't have something on the day? Well, it's just the idea of making yourself low and humble, of bowing down, of humility. Because confessing is a humble thing to do. Symbolically, watching a goat run away with someone chasing it to see all your sin is removed is a humbling moment. Well, it should be. Because all this ritual didn't matter at all if they didn't actually embrace the atonement God was offering them. Because it should be accompanied with a repentant heart. It's not just the process that matters, it's the, the heart that goes with it. And God calls his people out again and again, doesn't he? All through the Old Testament, even in the New, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Is that you? Is that you? God's people have come with humble hearts because the heart of God in this is to give us access to himself. God in his grace as the lawgiver shows us he wants to deal with sin. He wants to deal with the impurity. He wants to get rid of the gross mold on my concrete that's of my life, so that they can dwell with him. It's not confined to Leviticus, this idea either. It's actually the biblical vision of humanity. The goal of creation is a close relationship with the creator, all his people enjoying his good kingdom on earth. And while Leviticus 16 zeroes in on that and how it's made possible, if you go all the way to Revelation 21 verse 3, you read this. Notice what it says. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Do you see it? God living with his people. You living with God. And we looked at that in our community groups this week, haven't we? This vision of God, we want everyone to be captured by, is where it's all going to. Gathered in God's space, living in a rich relationship with Him, like it was in Eden, enjoying His care and His blessing. But the character and nature of our God means that atonement, repentance are needed on our behalf. And the character and nature of God means that He makes a way for that to happen, so we can have access to Him. If you keep reading from Leviticus in the Old Testament, you'll get to Isaiah 53. And it's a very famous chapter. It talks about a suffering servant. And what's interesting is it picks up this language of Leviticus 16. Around verse 4, 5, and 6 of Isaiah 53, it says that a servant of God will suffer, not a goat, but a servant of God will suffer, the righteous for the unrighteous, bearing our sin becoming our sin. So suddenly the goat, the idea it might become a person. 
And as time goes on, God's heart's the same. And, in, and when his son Jesus comes, the servant, the one Leviticus 16, Isaiah 53 is pointing to, we meet Jesus Christ, the one who brings Revelation 21 verse 3 into reality, into completion. And God's heart is for him to dwell with us and we see how much more in Jesus that happens because it's actually my sin for his righteousness. The New Testament describes Jesus' crucifixion as the ultimate day of atonement. Unlike Aaron needing to make right his sins, Jesus doesn't need to because he's the perfect high priest. And as a perfect offering, he could take all of God's anger, propitiate his wrath through his blood, taking away our sins onto himself when he died, declaring with a loud cry, it's finished. Like the scapegoat, they're removed far from us. He does everything that the two goats did in one. He's the substitute we need and he opens up life on the other side of sin and death. And it's far better than anything a goat could do. Because yes, Jesus takes and he cleans and he forgives, but he also gives. He takes and he cleans and he frees, but he gives. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be the sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. My sin for his righteousness. A goat can't give you the righteousness of God. It can forgive you as your substitute. It can take away your sin as a scapegoat. But Jesus can do all of that and more because he gives us the righteousness of God that we need. In Jesus, we can confess our sin and our shame we can be forgiven, we can be given a righteousness that's not from me or from you, but from the Son of God himself. Which means all the way back to the start, however we've come here today, however we find ourselves, whatever we reflect upon on the past, when we confess our sins to Jesus, yes, he's faithful and just to forgive us, but he also cleans us from all the unrighteous things done to us. All that guilt and shame weighing upon you, he removes that. He forgives you. And he gives you righteousness. He gives you the goodness of God in place of that. And as a key verse, uh, verse sixteen thirty, we can apply that today when we read it and say, on this day, the day Jesus died, Atonement has been made for us to clean us. And now before the Lord, you are clean from all your sin. Our great merciful God has made a way for us to be with him. Forgiving, removing and giving us his own righteousness every single day. And in Christ, that's available to you. And on Monday morning and on Friday night, because he is the faithful one. And you have access to God through Jesus Christ. As we think about that over coffee, maybe ask someone or share with someone how knowing God, having access to God in Jesus brings you joy. I mean, this is a somber day, but it's a joyful day too. That you can walk away knowing my sin is gone, the blood has atoned for me, I'm free, I can start the new year, which is when this day was, as a follower of 
Yahweh, as a Jesus follower, forgiven and clean. And that can be you today as well. Let me pray and the band will come up and we're going to sing a song called It Is Well. Maybe you know it. And I do pray that because of Jesus, you can sing loudly with a mask on. It is well with my soul. Thank you, band. Come on up. Father, it is well with my soul because the blood of Jesus forgives me. When he died, my sin died. And when he descended away from the cross, my sin has gone far from me. And when he rose to new life, we have that, the righteousness of God, not from ourselves, but from you, given to us so we can now relate to you every day of our life. And Lord God, in all the guilt and shame that we feel, that we've picked up, the uncleanness of just living in this world, you deal with that too in Jesus' death. You clean us. I pray in Jesus Christ now we would confess like Aaron did to the sins of the people. We would confess our sin and uncleanness and experience the righteousness of God that comes only through Jesus Christ. May you be given the glory. Amen.